Jesus is in a bit of a mood today. Did you hear it? Did, did it come through to you? Are you shocked now into silence and wondering how in the world you can get out of here as fast as you can? I mean, you lay that kind of reading on people and I just kind of feel like I need to take a pastoral pulse to see if there's any triage that needs to be done. It can be weighty, weighty stuff hearing Jesus, you know, the Lord of light and love talking like this. I read things like this and it makes me think of an article that um, I ran across in Time Magazine a few years ago. They did this photo documentary showing how presidents age in office. Have you ever noticed that? How presidents, we elect them and they're one thing and then in office, by the time we're finished with them, we've practically killed them. Time Magazine noticed it too, and so they did this photo documentary showing year by year how presidents have aged. They started with um, LBJ and went all the way through with President Obama and showed year one, year two, year three, and by year three, that's when you started to be able to tell that this office was wearing on them. We elect them, they're young and full of life, and by year three, we've beaten that right out of them. <laughs> the color that's in their hair has gone below their eyes and the white of their eyes has gone up into their hair and they just look old and tired and weighed down. And the person who was writing this article basically analyzing the pictures and summarizing um, what could be deduced from them um, attributed this intense aging to this. Presidents carry a burden of knowledge and it ages them. It makes the Oval Office this time warped place where they age four times faster than the rest of us and um, civilian population. All at once they know what's happening on the global scale, the dangers of nuclear arms, of bioweaponry. They know the economic realities of India and China and here and they go to bed every night with that sort of weight of knowledge and it just creases their face and it ages them quickly. One line of the article said that the Surgeon General should just put a disclaimer over the Oval Office like they do on cigarette packs. Warning, working in this office is hazardous to your health. I bring this up today in light of this gospel reading because I kind of feel like we should have a disclaimer over our sanctuaries or over our worship space, this elementary school, anywhere people may run into Jesus. Warning, a run-in with this God may be hazardous to your way of life. It may wear you down a bit. There's a knowledge that just sort of happens, that creeps in when you're hanging out with Jesus and people like him. There's this knowledge that creeps into your life, and before you know it, it's having its way with you, and it begins to wear you down. Jesus, speaking to his disciples this morning, says, Don't be afraid, little flock, which sounds like good news to us. It gets our attention. It's what we would call, though, Jesus' bait and switch. Watch him. Wait him. There's more coming. 
Jesus says, don't be afraid, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is where we smile. Sweet Jesus, this is good news. Except he's got you. Because wait for it, here it comes. Therefore, sell your possessions and give them to those in need. Don't store for yourself treasures on earth where thief, thief and moth and rust can destroy. Make for yourselves purses in heaven. And just like that, you now have the burden of knowledge. You know. And it's going to wear on you a bit. You know that when the kingdom of God comes near in the person of Jesus... That now, suddenly, it is tied intrinsically, indistinguishably from our economics. You know that. And that's not something you can unknow. You'll never not know that. From this point on, you'll never be able to distinguish economic reality from God's kingdom. I'm sorry if you want a church to be spiritual and Jesus to be lovey-dovey and worship to be all about having a good experience with God. Come back next summer, perhaps. Matthew will be preaching. But this year is Luke's year. And for St. Luke, the kingdom of God is inextricably tied to our economic practices. And you can't unknow that. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus' main teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, includes blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the kind of stuff you see on posters and Sunday school hallways up and down brick and mortar churches, that main central teaching of Jesus And Matthew puts that teaching on the mount, high and lifted up so all the world can see, so all the Jews who met God on the mountains many, many times before can think, oh, Jesus on the mountain, he must be God. However, this is not how Luke remembers the story. When Jesus gives these teachings in Luke's gospel, Jesus is on the plain, The mountains are leveled, the valleys are raised, the high are brought down, and the low are brought up. For Luke, that's how you know God has come near. There has been an economic reckoning, and there is no way to unknow that. In those teachings, Matthew says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, but not Luke. Luke says, Blessed are the poor, period. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty, period. The Jesus we meet in Luke's gospel has claim on everything, especially the ways in which we share or don't share our daily bread. Now you know that. And there is no way to unknow that. Welcome to the kingdom of God. One of the strangest conversations pastorally that I've ever had happened in this congregation last summer. Um, I did get permission to tell this story, but I won't say who. You called. You asked if you could come meet with me. I'm brand new. July. Um... I said, sure, drop by Wegmans. Uh, You came, you sat down, and I had no idea what the conversation was going to be about, so I tried to be prepared. And you said, this is going to sound strange, but 
I'm here to talk about a couch. Okay, have you been sleeping on the couch a lot lately? How is this a pastoral responsibility? And you say, we're redecorating and we want a new couch for our basement and the couch we've got down there is fine and we found a perfect couch and it's going to cost about $8,000 and here's why I'm here talking to you. Because I just got this nagging sense that there's something better that I could be doing with my money than buying a new couch. Now my first reaction is, what a first world problem you have there. It may sound superficial. It may sound shallow or maybe just maybe, maybe this is good news for us. That somehow God is smuggling divine knowledge into us that we can't unknow even now even in folks like us God is reminding us that we have bigger callings in life bigger tasks at hand than just doing what we want to do being who we would be maybe this is good news That somehow in this liturgical dance called worship, called church, somehow Jesus whispers something in your ear that you just can't unknow. And now you have the burden of knowledge that God is smuggling grace to this world through you. Jesus says, sell your possessions, give to those in need, and Because of the way the church has always divided this lectionary text in Luke 12, we think that these verses about the Father giving us the kingdom and us giving up our possessions have something to say about staying awake and alert and always being ready for Jesus' return. But actually, they are the conclusion of what Jesus says a few verses earlier. His famous words about not worrying about your life. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or your body, what you will wear. And then he goes on to point to the ravens and the grass and the lilies. He goes on to say that if all of these things are under God's providential care, then so are you. So stop your anxious striving, stop your vain seeking, and seek instead God's kingdom, and everything else will be given to you. And then these verses, don't be afraid, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, sell your possessions, and give to the poor. Seek God's kingdom, not build and grow and advance and bring and launch. Those are our favorite verbs to describe our heroic relationship to God's kingdom. We love these verbs when we're church planting, but they're not Jesus's. Jesus says, we just seek and receive It is, as scripture says, the Father's good work to build the kingdom, a kingdom that no amount of money, no amount of striving, no amount of programs and ministry can ever build. God is the giver. God's the great philanthropist here. We just seek and receive 
So then why, why sell our possessions? Why give to the poor? Why charity if we're not building God's kingdom? It is, he says, the Father's good pleasure to give the kingdom. And then immediately, he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. He takes the Father's job, the Father's verb, give, and applies it to us without explanation. He just tells us what makes the Father really happy giving us the kingdom. And then he invites giving to characterize our lives as if relinquishing our possessions and our money is the natural way of life for a people who worship a God who in giving us Jesus and the Spirit has given us everything we need. That's the burden of knowledge. That's the burden of knowing God. There should be a disclaimer. This life is hazardous to your cozy way of life. And you just can't unknow that. Our giving is an end in itself. A little imitation of God. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. It doesn't aim at something beyond itself. It's, in a sense, pointless. 